Okay, Jim, today's episode is going to be about PFAS. PFAS. You know P- what those are? PFAS? Yes. Are those the forever chemicals? Yeah. Uh, yes. That. Yep. They're called forever chemicals, but also PFOA, PFOAS, oh, yes. PFAS. I think PFOA, one of those was the, the one that we used in the Teflon episode. That one you, of them it, we did talk about in Teflon. Okay, yep. Okay, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I kind of know what they are. Kind of. Yeah. But we're going to talk about them more. Okay. I was going to say we dipped our toe a little bit into the water with right. Teflon. Right. But we're going to revisit that because it's been three years. Dipped our toe into the black poisonous water of <laughs> <laughs> of the DuPont's um, alleged yeah. uh, chemical runoff. <laughs> um, so we're going to revisit just PFAS or PFAS in general. Okay. Um, and first, I'm just today, I'm just going to talk about what they are and, you know, why they're considered unsafe, why they're called forever chemicals. And then I'm going to talk about what I think about them as a chemist. And then I think this is going to end up being, being a series where we come back and talk about what they're doing to try to get rid of them, how they probably covered up that they knew they were bad, all the good stuff. Okay. Okay. So this is going to be a little bit of a, I think this is similar to plastic and Teflon where it's like, we're starting a saga. Okay. Sounds good. I'm in. All right. Let's get into it. Hey, I'm Melissa. I'm Jam. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And welcome to Chemistry for Your Life. The podcast helps you understand the chemistry of your everyday life. Okay, and this episode is dedicated to our brand new patron, Katrina. She's at our top tier, so hopefully Katrina will see you at one of our coffee hours coming up this month. Yes, those are super fun. And if you join our Patreon at any level, we give you a shout out. Uh, Mm -hmm. The first new episode we record after you join and dedicate the episode to you. And then we get to include you in our thank yous for making this podcast possible. At the end of the episode of every single episode from... Yeah, as long as you're on our Patreon. So we are really huge fans of that group of people. Thank you all so much. And Katrina, thanks for joining our super cool community of patrons, our community. Chem. Oh, that's good. Our community. How did we not think of that before? I did. I just think, I think we had already. It was too lame. Yeah. It was too dad joking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, before we get into this episode dedicated to Katrina, I do want to talk about how serious that this topic is. Okay. And I take it really seriously, but it also is just so, so, so much information. Mm. And it's supercharged politically and um, maybe not politically, but like supercharged hot topic. What's the right. word for that? Where it's like in the news and mm. everyone's aware of it. Um, so annoying or <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like a big media or I don't, I can't yeah. remember, but it's very charged and there's lawsuits going on around it and everybody who writes about it has an angle. Like I mm. listened to a podcast from a chemistry company about um, these things and it was, it was just slanted to be the best, most optimistic light, you know? Right. Right. And so it is hard to get really good um, perspectives on it. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. A lot and, of money involved, yeah. a lot of people to, to stand to either benefit or be very hurt. Yes. Yeah their business bottom lines being affected Mm -hmm. in some way. Yeah. And human lives at stake in some cases. And please, none of you who have a lot of power and influence and money and lawyers, please don't come for us. We're a little, Mm -hmm. we're just a little podcast. So, and this is all alleged. Yes. And I link to the original sources. So 
There you go. Nice. And I did try to stick to chemistry and engineering news, Royal Society Chemistry's uh, chemistry world. Um, the American Chemical Society has a YouTube channel called Reactions that usually has really good information. And then, um, you know, some primary sources, but those are do a good job of distilling it down to a level that I can take it in. Right. And those are super legit. Mm-hmm. Like organizations, we yes. use them a ton. So yes. many, if you look through our, our resources, most of this research includes them on a regular basis because yes. they're so solid. So. And even they have something to gain and even they have a slant, but I try to take it knowing that. In yeah, right, right. And even I have a slant. Yeah. But I did want to talk about what made me decide to do this episode. Okay. So I feel like I've I've gotten questions about this a lot and it's sort of been on my periphery of like, oh yeah, I should do that. But it was kind of overwhelming to me and it felt like kind of a big weight. Like this is kind of a hard thing to talk about. And recently I was at a conference with a group of friends who also have backgrounds in chemistry. And we were talking about, of all things, um, period underwear. So Mm. it's like they're super absorbent. If uh, you don't know about them, they act similar to like menstrual pads, but they're just made of cloth. And so they're like you know, a little bit more comfortable and they're supposed to be better for the environment. And one of the things that's happened recently is some of those companies have come under fire because it seems like they're containing PFAS in a level that would indicate that it was intentionally used. Mm, Not just like some random trace of it or something like that. Yes. Got it. But they had claimed that there weren't any toxic chemicals. So the people buying them bought them because they were supposed to be a more environmentally friendly option. But then there's these chemicals in it that have this really bad rap. And so there's this whole um, big lawsuit settlement thing that happened. Right. And so that was how it came up. Okay. And in that conversation, one of my friends, Sarah said, you should do an episode on this. And I was like, this is so overwhelming. How could I even process that to put it on an episode? And then I thought if I feel that way and we're all chemists in this conversation. I can't really even think about how people without a background in chemistry might feel. Right. And then I thought it's really important now that I do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Especially if that is circulating around right now and mm-hmm. people are in this situation where they're like, I'm trying to make sense of this without really having any background at all. Yeah. And, but it matters to me because it's like, I need to buy products for my, you know, I need to be informed by this and I've maybe either been duped by saying there's no toxic things or whatever. Yeah. Or somebody I know has, it's like, it feels so, suddenly like very relatable. Yes. And not just like a interesting science tidbit or whatever. Yeah, definitely. So that's why I decided to do this episode. Um, but I just think it's important to share that I do feel a little unqualified and I feel like I can only work with the information I have right now, which we talk about a lot. Right. And that is subject to change. So I kind of feel like you have to give this little preamble of even though I am an expert, I have a master's degree in organic chemistry and, um, you know, went on to get my PhD in chemistry education. It's like I'm an expert, but I can only know so much as a human. Right, right. You didn't make these underwear or make PFAS or any of those. You don't have like this like deep, deep dive insider knowledge of it. Yes. So you're having to, yeah. Yeah. And I have purchased those underwear before and wondered like, how do these work? And they never got a satisfying answer. So I'm kind of not surprised, but (laughs) let's get into the meat of what PFAS are, where they're, why are they're called forever chemicals, like you said, and what's going on with them. Okay. 
Sounds so good. That's what this episode is going to be a broad overview of what they are, why they're considered bad, and then what I kind of think about them. And then we'll talk more about the little nitty gritty things as we move through the series. Yep. Okay. So you said you remember we talked about um, some of this on the Teflon episode. So can you tell me what you remember? And listeners who I think we just replayed one of those episodes for our last um, re release. Right. So y'all can pause and also try to mentally summarize what you th- what you remember from that. Yep. Okay. So I remember us talking about. You said your, your question was specifically what are PFAS, right? Yes. Like, okay. But but in general, what you remember about Teflon because that is going to be. Yeah, I remember that um, the big scary part was the fact that the byproducts of making Teflon mm-hmm. are the things that seem to be toxic to stuff. And that's where some of those allegations came from. Yeah. And that at least the Teflon's not good for us to ingest, but the thing that got a lot of heat and a lot of attention was the byproducts of producing it. But I remember you talking about how what makes it and other things like it unique is something about the way that it will um, stick to itself really well and create this really good layer to itself and to whatever surface you're applying it to. But something about, and this is where I, I wish I had <laughs> already listened to that episode um, with our our listeners, but makes it really not that interested in sticking to other things. Yes. Um, and at the molecular level, I forget what makes that possible. But that's why it's such a nice nonstick coating. Nice meaning like, you know, that's why they've convenient. Convenient. They've made it for our for home use because of that. Because it it doesn't really want to come off the pan really. Yeah. But it um so it'll stay there, but it really isn't interested in bonding with or interacting with the uh stuff we put in our pans. Yeah. But but heat can still transfer through and still cook things. It's not like it's like yeah. this insulation barrier that also prevents things yeah. from cooking because then it wouldn't be good for cooking. <laughs> it might be like, here's a nonstick pan, but it's really bad at cooking. Um, so that's that's the gist of what I remember. Do you and remember I've, anything about the chemical structure of it? What it, What is it? Mm, it's okay if you don't. Is it a polymer? It's always a polymer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a polymer. Um, so that was a really good, uh, I think, summary of some of the properties that make PFAS desirable is they're in general recognized by chemists as being um, not really reactive. So Mm -hmm. they're good for waterproofing, they're oil and grease resistant, but let's talk about the underlying structure and then we'll talk about the properties. Okay, cool. So I want to say first that this is a huge class of molecules and some experts say that we can't just group them all together because there's, they can be so different mm. that some might be safer than others and some might have different properties than others. But for the most part, the definition I'm going to give you applies. Okay. Okay. So, and then, you know, in the future, I can summarize more about why people think we should break them down more and what seems safer or less, you know, forever than others. Okay. But they are a polymer and, um, just to remind our listeners, a polymer is a molecule that's made up of repeating or a 
large molecule that's made up of repeating units of molecules. So my favorite reference is like a necklace that has repeating units over and over to make a whole necklace of mm -hmm. these little individual beads. Got it. Um, so in this case, it's a polymer and it's called PFAS because it's per or polyfluorinated alkyl substances. Okay. So poly or per means there's multiple fluorinated. It means there's fluorine on it and that's um, a different kind of atom. And alkyl substances refers to like a carbon chain. So I'm going to try to visualize this. And actually, I think if you're listening with your ears, we're going to have one of our patrons, Bree, go and animate for us what this looks like on our YouTube. So if you're having a hard time visualizing it, um, you might check out the YouTube. Mm. And we can talk about that in a little bit. But the way I think about this is if you imagine a chain of people all holding hands, okay. there's a long chain of people. Each one of those people is a carbon atom, right? Mm -hmm. And so they have two arms and they're taken up by making this chain. Okay. Now imagine each of them also has two more arms, like maybe one sticking out of their chest and one sticking out of their back. Okay. So you have, <laughs> Bree's not going to animate this. <laughs> this isn't the part. It's yeah. the actual atoms. So if you had all these people holding hands in a chain, two of their hands would be taken up by holding onto other hands, uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, quote unquote, bonding yeah. to other, you know, of their same thing, other carbon atoms. Okay. And then two of the hands would be free to do something else. Okay. So in a normal hydrocarbon chain where you have a carbon that repeats over and over, they're bonded to each other in a long chain. So... The four bonds that carbon can make, two of them are taken up in this chain, mm -hmm. but there are two other spaces that it could be bonded to something else. And typically that's either another carbon or another hydrogen or maybe some oxygen in the chains that we call hydrocarbons. Okay. We've talked about that a lot before. Right. But in the case of per or polyfluorinated atoms, instead of those being hydrogens, they... Um, or sorry, per or polyfluorinated substances, instead of those being hydrogen atoms, they swap them out for fluorine atoms. Okay. So that's the big difference. Mm -hmm. So the, the alkyl is the carbon chain. Okay. And then the per or polyfluorinated is the spots that have fluorine instead of hydrogen. Okay. So Teflon, if I remember correctly, <laughs> is a chain of carbon atoms and both of those two other spots that it could bond are both taken up with fluorine. So it's just okay. carbon with two fluorines and that unit repeats over and over and over and over and over again. But other PFAS could have branches where it's um, not just a straight line of carbon, but there could be, you know, carbon coming off with three more fluorines off of it or with long, big branching sections. You mm -hmm. could replace one of the carbons with an oxygen atom in the chain, there's a lot of different little variations or little iterations that you could do uh -huh. that ultimately have very similar properties but are different compounds. Right, right. So there are thousands of PFAS. Okay. And this has to be made, right? I mean, is it like mm -hmm. pretty uncommon for this to occur in nature where the fluorine, fluorine? Fluorine. Fluorine is there instead of hydrogen? So PFAS are man-made. Okay. But I don't know if that's, I mean, carbons right. have to be bonded to fluorine sometimes. Somewhere, yeah. But I don't know about like, are there 
big polymers with right, that happening right, right. a lot in nature. I don't, not that I can think of, but right. that doesn't mean that they don't exist. Right. Okay. Got it. Um, and the other thing I was going to say is we've talked about polymers a lot on here. So we know even from talking about silicone that if they're shorter or longer, they could, the chains could act differently mm-hmm. or if they're cross-linked to each other or not, chains can act differently. So <laughs> I'm the, that's kind of part of what makes this intimidating is the scope of PFAS is literally thousands of different chemicals. But also I think each of those chemicals would have different iterations of how they could be used mm-hmm. in manufacturing. So that's what a PFAS is. Okay. Um, and hopefully our patron Bree is going to be able to make a, a meaningful visualization of this and have some like lots of PFAS on the screen. Maybe um, we're, we're trying to partner with her. She reached out to us because she loves science communication as much as we do. And also because she really cares about this podcast and she's also a scientific artist. She's a digital artist who focuses on science Nice. and she has a background in science. And so she could do the drawings of the chemical concepts really well and accurately because of that background. And so we really want to support her and thank her for taking the time to do that. So please, please, please go check her out. She's at McAllister Bree on Twitter. Or you can go to her art station, which is, it's in Tropic, but the O is a zero. Mm. Intropic.artstation.com. And we'll also link to that. Nice. Because we just want to thank Brie and shout her out because it's amazing that she's willing to do this <laughs> for <laughs> us and that she is willing to support the show that way and also to help s- spread chemistry and make it more accessible to even more people. So yeah. I wanted to pause for a moment and shout that out. And then also if you're listening to let you know that we might start having more of these visualizations on YouTube, depending on how that goes. Yeah. Sweet. So that's the basic idea of a PFAS. And I want you to explain that back to me as well as you can. And then we're going to talk about, you know, why they're supposed to be so helpful, what their properties are, why they're called forever. Okay. So a typical sort of like a common thing we talked about a bunch is a hydrocarbon Mm -hmm. chain. And that would normally be carbons linking arms they're, they're typical arms as, as we do you know normal two arm situation mm-hmm. but then they have a front arm and a back arm sort of yeah um and that those arms typically would be um, bonded to hydrogen or other carbon or other carbon yeah yeah but we would see this happen frequently with with carbon and hydrogen bonded together to creating some yes. shape some molecule and that occurs all the time in nature got it okay and then in the case of PFAS, some at some point we figured out that if instead of doing the hydrogens, we could do fluorine instead. Yes. That the properties end up being different. There's some some benefits to it. This is, it's a totally different deal, still being a polymer, but being a totally uh, there's some benefits to that. And, and there's a lot of different structures within that category. Instead of just one long chain, you could have like branches off where we kind of becomes becomes a different shape but still is including carbons and fluorines as the major player yeah and linking in that similar way perfect okay so you'd mentioned that they have some properties that make them valuable they are water heat oil and corrosion resistant that's crazy it's crazy like is this fluorine just like this super like <laughs> resistant element that is just need you put it in there it's like Sorry. 
So fluorine does have a special property of being the most electronegative element. Mm. So what that means is when it's in a bonding situation, it likes to pull the electron density as much to itself as possible. Uh And um, one resource that I read indicated that that, the nature of that makes it to where the carbons and fluorines are connected really well. And that Mm. makes it harder to break down. That makes it inert. That makes everybody happy. So that that's essentially. But it isn't so different from plastic. I mean, plastic, you know, isn't heat resistant, but it is water resistant, right, you know. Right. And so I think and there's some plastics that they don't really break down in oil either. So I think part of it is also just the polymer nature of mm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that's a good question. I do think that that electronegativity of the fluorine probably plays a role. Yeah. Um, we use them in fire extinguishers. Mm. We use them in raincoats. Ah. So if you have a waterproof raincoat, you very likely have some PFAS in your house. Yeah. Uh, the, and on a lot of waterproof fabrics, which is why they're coming up as being in um, reusable period products. Uh-huh. There are also some in um, one-time use period products that I read some about as well. Uh, but they also are a lot of times on fast food wrappers. So if you have hmm. a really greasy burger and it's not letting that oil come through, uh, it's because it's very convenient to have a layer on it that is oil. Right. You know, it's crazy too. The other day we were having a, a small like plumbing thing kind of swapped out on our pool stuff. Mm-hmm. And the guy I was talking to, the repair guy was talking about what he'd done and what he, what some parts he still needed to get. And he said, and we'll put some Teflon on that and blah, blah, blah. And they, just one of the, the tubes of one of the things that they use to seal things mm-hmm. and and stuff, they just call it Teflon. Yeah. Like that's just their term. That's like, doesn't say that on the tube, obviously. Yeah. That's just the, the term that they've used for a long time. And I was like, oh, makes sense. It's like resistant to stuff. It's not going to react mm-hmm. and it can seal and be, I guess in this case, it's not trying to seal oil in, but it, but water. Yeah. But still, it's like got all these. They're like, water resistant too. Yeah. Not yeah. wanting to react to stuff thing that makes it perfect for that. But I was like, I wanted to be like, could you use like, is there a cast iron version of this? You could use this. <laughs> Just kidding. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that is, I think the problem is they're so, so useful. Mm. And so they very rapidly became used in a number of different settings. And we talked about with Teflon that they were suspicious that things were happening as byproducts of Teflon. Mm-hmm. But it seems like maybe they also might be suspicious that things were happening with PFAS as well, the actual PFAS. Yeah. So we're going to talk more about that next week. But what I found about um, PFAS that makes them a little bit more insidious than plastic is that they can bind to proteins in our blood. Mm. And so they can stay in our body for longer than a lot of other chemicals that we ingest. Um, so I found a source that said it's you know, some of my sources said two to four years and another one of my sources says that they could last in for decades in our system. Wow! And so that would mean that a very low level of contamination of PFAS in our water systems, if we're consistently drinking it, for example, you don't need a lot to have a high concentration in your body and long-term exposure. Mm. So that's what makes them really insidious. But similar to plastics, you know, all this ability to not break down very much over time that is what makes them useful, but that's also what makes them hard to get rid of. So that's why they're called forever chemicals. Right, right. Because they last 
quote unquote forever in our body, but also they take a long time to break down in nature. Got it. And they do sometimes degrade, but also their degradation products mm-hmm. are concerning for our health too. Yeah. <laughs> so that's not great. It's crazy how like their strength, the thing that made them appealing and interesting and why people decided to like develop them like that is also the big problem. It's like, this, yes. is, this doesn't break down. It doesn't react to stuff. Isn't yeah. this awesome? And then it's mm-hmm. like, uh-oh, it doesn't break down. It doesn't react to stuff. It's like, <laughs> yeah. these things are going to last forever. Yes, it reminds me so much of what we talked about with plastic. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is just, I mean, if you broadly define plastics as a carbon-containing molecule, that's a polymer, you yeah. know, in a way, this is just another plastic. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, the thing that makes plastics good and silicone good and PFAS good is that they don't react to stuff and they don't break down, but that's also what makes them bad. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was... I. I don't think that forever chemicals is the best term because mm-hmm. there are ways to break it down. And we talked a little bit of like with plastics that there's some microbes that can digest it. And so, right. and I found some other things about ways that they can, um, they can break down some of these PFAS that we can talk about for sure next episode. Mm-hmm. But for now, I just wanted to maybe explain what they were and explain why they're called forever chemicals and talk about how, why they have this really bad rap is because they hang out in our bodies for longer. Yeah. And I think it's kind of, there's not a ton of studies on this really yet, but the studies that do exist have linked them to higher cholesterol, to endocrine disruptors, which means they also can disrupt your immune system. And ultimately they're also linked to higher risk of cancer. Mm. So you know, and in animal experiments, it seemed like they were finding more um, because it, it binds to proteins in our blood to stay in our body. The higher concentrations are in places with more blood vessels. Right. So like in our liver, for example. Um, so one thing that it, re- oh, sorry, I just hit the mic. <laughs> one thing that it kind of reminded me of actually is um, we've talked very briefly about the radium girls and maybe I could do a whole episode about it, but these are these women who, um, they were employed to paint clocks and other similar, like small, uh, detail work with radium paint. And the scientists at that time pretty much already knew it was dangerous. Like people could get radium burns and they used PPE with radium, but the amount of radium in the paint was so small that it was considered harmless. Mm. And I think that that might be a little bit of the, slant that we put on PFAS is, oh, there's not very much in our environment. And I have heard on the podcast I listened to from the chemical company, they said, oh, really low levels of this that we don't super have to worry about. And you're like, yeah, really low levels. But if low levels can find a place to hang out in your body and keep exposing you, that's really scary. Right. And that's what happened with the radium girls is they were ingesting this radium, you know, when they were they were using a technique called lip pointing to get the brushes as fine as possible, you know. Right. And so they were ingesting radium and it acted like calcium and found places to hang out in their bones. Uh-huh. And then they were constantly being exposed to radiation. Uh, yeah. And so it it's not, I do think the dose makes the poison, but that doesn't mean that low doses are always good because if it's low doses for a long time, mm-hmm. that still right. can be really bad. Repeated exposure. And also like, the fact that it's considered safe, but has every level and every amount of exposure been tested? Like, have you no. done it where you gave somebody a tiny amount of something for like every day? 
yeah. or every week. Or something yeah. Like that. But that's what's scary is that if we haven't tested it, and that's obviously you could be scared of everything by that right. measure. But still, it's like if we haven't tested everything or we don't haven't realized that it just stays in your body, so yeah, you're only getting exposed to something for however often. But what if the last time is still there too? Right. And then it's like, okay, a little bit, but it keeps staying. It keeps staying. Right. It just seems like one of those things that should be – yeah, vetted pretty carefully. Yeah, and I think that's something that's a part of the reason why I can be pretty wary of new technology. But this doesn't feel new to me because it's like raincoats. They raincoats with these coatings on them, you know, they've been around since I was in high school, mm-hmm. you know, probably even before that. That was the first time I remember being aware of them or, you know, maybe Teflon pans feel a little bit newer, but like that's what we bought when we went to college, you know, so it's like this feels like it's been around for a long-ish time, but really it's relatively new in terms of the development of them in human history. Mm-hmm. So that brings me to what my views are on them right now. As a chemist, I'm not a doctor. I don't have all the information. I don't study PFAS. Um, I think that they're bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you probably could guess that already from our Teflon series is – I think the what the little we do know makes the unknown much scarier. Mm. It's not like the little information we have is reassuring, which is a little bit more how I feel with silicone. It seems like the little bit we have is is actually a little concerning. Yeah. And I one of the questions in my mind and that maybe we can get answered through the course of the series is I don't know why they are active in our bodies. If if they're why they're binding to these proteins in our blood because they're relatively inert, which I think is why they became so widespread so quickly is people thought these are inert. They must be bioinactive, mm-hmm. which is also what we think with silicone. Hopefully that stays true, yeah. <laughs> but they're not, but bi- they're not bio inert. So I think that that is not a good sign. Mm. And uh, seeing someone in my life have cancer and die from it, it is really scary. So the idea that it could make you higher risk for cancer is scary to me. The flip side of that is they're everywhere. Right. So realistically, this is very scary to me, but I don't know how to mitigate that. Right. It's something that I think is really challenging. And it's why it's kind of been hard for me to want to take this topic on because, you know, I can do things like avoid Teflon in my home. Mm Mm-hmm. And try to eat out, you know, eat out for have like fast food burger wrappers less, you Mm -hmm. know, or identify sources of PFAS that I might be ingesting other than water because I have to drink water and try to avoid them. And that's something that I can do partially because I have the knowledge and I have the finances. But for other people, you know, fast food burger wrappers, other coated um, packages that things from leaking out is a much more affordable option. Yeah. And so what recommend, what recommendation do you make to those people? Right. Right. Yeah. It's not just like an easy, Hey, swap this out for something equal and better, but the same price. Easily accessible. Easily accessible. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something that is hard for me Hmm. to think about. And I think it's, should be hard for lots of people to think about. Yeah. Um, I think that chemists are, this is a little bit of the dark side of chemistry again, but also it's like, well, you guys made this, so you better figure it out. Chemists are working on ways to break down PFAS, but for now they think that there 
is a lot of water sources that are contaminated with PFAS, especially more highly densely populated areas. But so what I do, just for y'all two cents, you know, is where I can, I try to not use plastic. We've talked about that before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And I try not to use, I try to use glass as much as I can. And I try not to heat plastics, you know. That's how I avoid some of the exposure to plastic stuff. For PFAS, I feel like I take calculated risks, right? So um, raincoats, I don't wear those all the time, but they are super useful when I do wear them. Mm-hmm. I'm not likely ingesting raincoats. It's like even the waterproof layer is the outermost layer, so that's likely not touching my skin a ton. Right. I will probably keep using those same raincoats unless you can get rubber coated raincoats again. I don't yeah, know that that's yeah. not widely made, you know? Yeah. It's not really a financial option. So in that situation, you know, that's what I do. I try to limit fast food intake anyway. I feel like I'm probably not coming a ton into contact with, with that, um, mm-hmm. in that scenario. But then with things like menstrual products, I think that is kind of a unique problem hmm. to that uh, people who don't menstruate don't have to deal with. But I think for me, for a while, this is kind of getting personal information. For a while, I was on a birth control where I very rarely had to use any menstrual products. So the risk of that was pretty low to me, like once every few months right? for a few days. And most likely the waterproof layer is on the outside, not touching my skin. This is a risk I'm willing to take. Um knowing at that time that there was probably something suspicious in them mm-hmm. to make them be so effective. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I've, I've changed that. And so having to think about that every month makes me think about it a little bit more. Right. And it, it is very much a question of how much will this negatively impact my life Versus like long-term, will this impact my health? How can I avoid this? Versus what are the benefits of how convenient that these products are mm-hmm. and how widespread they are? And a little bit like, oh, we're already getting exposed to this consistently in our water sources. But part of where it comes from in our water sources is being washed off of clothing. Right. And so it just is such a hard thing mm-hmm. to navigate and balance and think about. And so that's kind of where I am, where I don't feel like I have good answers, but I do think about it and sort of take calculated risks of how am I contributing to this? In the future, I will probably work to buy period products that are not associated with PFAS as much as possible. But even that is really hard to do because, you know, some manufacturers agree like, oh, these eight PFAS, these eight major ones, we're not going to use these. But there are thousands of other ones that could be used. And so right. realistically, how do you know mm-hmm. what's in some of those things? Um, it's just really hard. Yeah. So. Yeah. I feel like these will be interesting conversations to think through and a little scary too. One thing that I feel like is really nice when it happens is when there's enough information out there that the average person starts knowing about it and thinking about it, there starts being a more more accountability on these organizations that are making products that include PFAS. Yeah. And maybe even to a point where we get some like assurances like, okay, we're just gonna stop using these entirely. Yeah. Or only in cases where there's not food, you know, not yeah. related to ingestions like that. But so then, then at that point, it's like just informing people 
ends up being kind of the best we can do. Yeah. Hoping that like at some point it matters enough to the bottom line of businesses to like, I don't know, really help us know what's in what we're buying. Yeah. But it's like right now, I, who knows? Who knows how many mm-hmm. there are in our daily lives? Yeah. We know of some of them. We could avoid those. But do we know, are we really going to look at how, what makes up everything? Yeah. You know? And I even, I have all the resources I could want other than being someone who actively studies PFAS for their job. Yeah. <laughs> and I still have a hard time figuring things out, you know? So mm-hmm. I agree that it's like, are we really even going to be able to do this? The big thing that I would prioritize if at all possible is to try to avoid internalizing things that you suspect contain PFAS as much as possible within your socioeconomic situation mm-hmm. and your geographical location. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, as within your means, if you can avoid internalizing that. So yeah. ingesting or using internal menstrual products, those are things that, are going to be that it will expose you at a higher rate that will expose that will expose you to internalizing that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know. I'm like, I don't think there are filters that are going to filter out PFAS in our water. You know, it'd be right. so nice. We'd be like, yep, this will do it. Yeah. I'm not aware of a lot of those things right now, um, but we're on this journey together. I'm learning about them too. Mm-hmm. So. so yeah, it's kind of a, um, a little bit of a heavier topic. I yeah. was thinking this is one of the first times I'm not like, I'm so excited for this topic. <laughs> right, I think right. it's really important and I feel really, um, it's really, really, I need to do this. I think we need to talk about some of this stuff, but it's not like exciting as mm-hmm. some of our other ones are. It's kind of, we're back to a little bit of the dark side of chemistry. Right, right. Dark side, that's right. Yeah. So, Yeah. We could transition into a happy thing for this week, or okay. we could maybe just um, sit in some of these emotions. I thought I'd leave it up to you. Let's do a happy thing. Okay. You want to try to bring our spirits back up? Yeah, especially because it's going to be multiple episodes of this. So we You're are right. going to be sitting in our feelings. That's a good point. That is a good point. So yeah. Okay, so all of our listeners, if you're feeling a little bit sad right now, Pause, think of a happy thing. You can message it to us if once you're not driving your car or <laughs> yeah. whatever you're doing. And we'd love to hear it. But for now, Jim, what's your happy thing? So I alluded to this one last week, but I wanted to share about something different then. So I'll share about it this time. But last weekend, my older brother and my mom came and visited mm-hmm. us and just hung out the weekend. And we just did a bunch of stuff. Like we had a few things planned we had to do. And then they just joined us for some of those things. And then... um we got to do some fun stuff with them and catch up. And one, one of the things we did on Saturday was we went to this, the little water park here in town. Oh yeah. That thing's so cute. Yeah. It's cute. It's fun. And the kids had a lot of fun and, um, and we did too. And so that was really cool and just got to eat some good food and hang out together and, and stuff. And I hadn't hung out with my mom had come a couple months ago, but, and then I saw my brother briefly a couple months before that, or maybe a month before that, but they hadn't both come and hung out here. It's a different vibe. Different vibe with both of them. That was really fun. So yeah, really enjoyed that. And um, I had to work on some stuff at one point, but then M and my mom and brother were watching my big fat Greek wedding, <laughs> uh, and I was working on something on the, the dining table nearby. And it was just kind of fun having things going on in the house and having a full house for a little bit was pretty fun. So yeah. Well, uh, my happy thing is also family related. Nice. I don't think I shared this last week. You already know about it. Mm-hmm. 
But um, so I got my new car and I've been driving it around a lot because I have a brand new nephew. (laughs) He's so cute and he's so little. And um, so and it's nice to have a safe car that I can drive back and forth. They live about an hour away. And so I've been going over there a little bit more and just like looking at him. He's so peaceful and Uh sweet. Just looking at babies just gives you endorphins (laughs) a lot of times. Totally. And then we've also been able to hang out with my nephew more. Your older nephew. Right. My other nephew. I'm not used to that yet because, you know, it's a hard transition Mm -hmm. when the first four to five years of your life, you were the only one. Right. And now suddenly, I think there's a lot of emotions associated with the fact that not only is there someone else around, but it is a very demanding someone else. Right, <laughs> you right. know? Yeah. It's, it's hard. It takes a lot of the attention off you. And he's old enough to be definitely aware of that, that transition's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's hard. So, it's hard. But cool. You get to hang out with him and that you have a new nephew too. So Yes. So that's my happy thing is very exciting. A sweet new little baby. And, um... Also, I have really enjoyed getting to drive my car to go visit them. Yeah. Put some miles on it. Yeah. Nice. Put to good use. Yeah. And thanks for um, encouraging us to get a hybrid. Oh, yeah. Because I get better gas mileage on that thing. I'm a big hybrid fan. Yeah. Yep. So thanks, Jam, for that. And thanks also for, um, you know, for just looking at and thinking about PFAS for a little with me. And for being open to this conversation, I think it'll be valuable, but I do think it's just going to be kind of, it's just kind of hard. Yeah. It's hard to wrap your mind around it and to think about it too much. Well, thank you for teaching us about it and being willing to delve into some of the dark side of chemistry. Yeah. I mean, it is my people. So I do feel low key responsible. Like, oh. Yeah. You know, I got to do my part as a chemist. Right. Right. You know. Totally. 100%. Yeah. That makes sense. But thanks for doing that. It's going to be interesting. I'm excited about it, but I'm also, I'm excited in the sense of I'm very curious because it matters. Yeah. And not like, oh, cool, dude. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So anyway, if you have ideas uh, or questions about the world and you think the answer could be chemistry related, we'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to us on our website at chem for your life. Uh, that's chem, F-O-R, your life.com to give us your thoughts and ideas or questions. Um, and if you'd like to help us keep our show going and contribute to cover the cost of making it, go to patreon.com slash chem for your life or tap the link in our show notes or the description to join our super cool community of patrons. <laughs> I love that. Uh, if you're not able to do that, you can still help us by subscribing on your favorite podcast app or rating and writing a review on Apple Podcasts or subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Those things all help us to share chemistry with even more people. And... Really, this episode would not be possible without our financial supporters on Patreon. So it really means a lot to us that you all are willing to help make chemistry accessible. This week, we want to give two special shout outs. One to Katrina H. Welcome to the community. <laughs> this episode's for you. Sorry, it was a sad one. And also, again, a shout out to Bree M, who is going to start trying to do some animation or some digital artwork around our episodes and be sure to go check out Brie M on Twitter and at their art station. And then we also want to shout out Chelsea, who works with PFAS as well, one of our ah. patrons. So works um, testing for PFAS, or at least 
She did a while ago. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So those are a few special shout outs for our patrons. Um, I also want to thank Avishai B, Brian K, Chris and Claire S, Derek L, Emerson W, Hunter R, Jacob T, Christina G, Lynn S, Melissa P, Nicole C, Nellie S, Stephen B, Shadow, Suzanne P, Timothy P, and Venus R. Thank you all again so much for everything that you do to make Chemistry for Your Life happen. And if you'd like to learn more about today's chemistry lesson, you can check out the references for this episode in our show notes or the description of the video. Yay, chemistry! Yay, chemistry!